such thing is based on truth. So when you, mere humans, pass judgments on them and yet do the same things, do you think you will escape God's judgment or do you show contempt of the riches of his kindness, forbearance and patience? Not realizing that God's kindness is intended to lead you to repentance, but because of your stubbornness and unrepented heart, you're storing up wrath against yourself for the day of God's wrath. When his righteous judgment will be revealed, God will repay each person according to what they've done. To those who by persisting in doing good, seek glory, honor, and immortality, he will give eternal life. But for those who are seeking and who reject the truth and follow evil, there will be wrath and anger. There will be trouble and distress for every human being who does evil. For first, uh, for the Jew, then for the Gentile, but glory, honor, peace for everyone who does good. First to the Jew, then to the Gentile. For God does not show favoritism. Thank you, Richard. So today we are continuing our sermon series on the book of Romans, looking at chapter 2 and thinking about sin and judgment. Just a light topic for Sunday morning. So in Paul's letter to the Romans, Paul is writing to tell a church that he hasn't visited yet about himself, about his beliefs, about his plans. As Shane mentioned last week, the sharing of faith, supporting one another, is really important for our spiritual growth. So it's no surprise that Paul begins his letter by advising the people in Rome that he offers this insight as a spiritual gift, just for the purpose of making them strong. It's not always easy to offer criticism or awareness to receive it, so I really admire Paul for taking up this challenge, as he so often does, and tackling such a difficult topic head-on. Because, whether we like it or not, sin and judgment are an important part of our Christian faith, and they are topics that we should talk about together in church. They're things that we should pray about with each other, on our own, difficult as it may be. I know, if I'm very honest with myself, that I'm really guilty of avoidance on this subject. It is much easier for me to focus on things that are more comforting, that gentle side of God's nature, the qualities like love and kindness and compassion, generosity, forgiveness. These are things that tell me so much about the God that I know and love. In fairness, our passage today does reflect these qualities. Paul tells us clearly that God has riches of kindness and tolerance and patience. But because of this, I think I have a tendency to overlook those aspects of faith that are more challenging and require me to look a bit deeper inside myself. As Paul recognises, despite God's generous, loving nature, we are faced with an unavoidable problem. As humans, we are all 
every single one of us guilty of sin. In the first chapter of his letter to the Romans, Paul provides a catalogue of sinful behaviour, things that get between us and God. He includes big things, deceit, malice, murder, but he also includes everyday things, things that we probably think are little, fairly insignificant, things like gossiping, boasting, things we don't think twice about or even notice we're doing half the time. Over the past week, many people across the country, across the world, have commemorated the Queen's remarkable life of service. Her dedication to the role that she inhabited, her strong faith, her sense of duty. Tomorrow, with her funeral, these things will be acknowledged and remembered. And there is no doubt that the Queen has lived a remarkable life. It's evident that her life and her passing have touched many people. But I think it's also important to acknowledge that when you put aside that pomp and ceremony, even the Queen was an ordinary person. She was a wife, a mother, a grandmother, a normal human who will be loved and missed by her family, a person with human flaws, human frailty, a person who undoubtedly made human mistakes and as I think she would have recognised because of her Christian faith, a sinner in the eyes of God. You might have heard the morning prayer, which goes, Dear God, so far I have done everything right. I haven't gossiped, I haven't lost my temper, I haven't been greedy or grumpy or nasty or selfish or overindulgent. And I'm really glad about that. But in a few minutes, God, I'm going to get out of bed. And from then on, I'm really going to need a bit more help. Like it speaks to me. Yeah. I think it should probably ring true for all of us because, as Paul acknowledges, we might try to do the right thing, but not one single person can claim to be completely guilt free. We are not exempt from God's judgment just because we're Christians or because we do good things. Every single one of us falls short of God's will for us. We all stand on the same footing before God and must must. Um, yeah, we need to face the consequences of our actions, good or bad. As the final verse of this passage tells us, God shows no favouritism. Sometimes this is translated as God shows no partiality. God just doesn't care about those human preoccupations that we have with wealth or power, fame, status. In the Hebrew Bible, God's impartiality, this tendency he has not to show favouritism to anybody, forms the foundation of the understanding that we have this duty to protect people who are vulnerable in society. There are so many stories across the Bible of um, protection towards widows and orphans, those people on the margins of society. Paul radicalises this idea. He expands it to say that God's impartial care is not only offered to people living within the Jewish community at the time. God judges everybody and redeems everybody. What an amazing message. We are all included in this amazing love that God has for humanity. To understand God as showing no favour means that all human beings are valued equally in God's sight. And the undeniable reality of this is that we are also called to value each other 
in just the same way. Paul uses the word righteousness a lot in his letter to the Romans. And quite simply, he is referring to our behaviour. A person is considered righteous when they do things that are right. Paul doesn't mean having the right answer, knowing that two plus two makes four. He is using this term to refer to our relationship with God. The fundamental, fundamental question that we should be asking ourselves as Christians is how can I be right with God? How can I be right with God? Paul argues that what makes us right is faith. It is through faith in Jesus that we become right with God. Well, this all sounds very good, doesn't it? But what is this sin that we talk of? Paul tells us that sin pervades human life and the world around us, enslaving humanity and taking control over us. Scripture uses a range of words to speak of sin, ranging from missing the mark, breaching relationships, to ungodliness or rebellion. But at the heart of every biblical understanding of sin is this idea that sin is the state of our being that separates us from God. It's the things that keep us at a distance from God. St. Augustine explains that sin is a corruption that leads us to focus on ourselves rather than God. Paul argues that whatever form sin takes, it arises from a common human desire to replace God with the self, with ourself, worshipping and serving the created, not the creator. And judgment, well, the belief that God passes judgment on human lives is important to Christianity. In the Old Testament, judgment seems to take the form of a blessing, in form of a bountiful harvest or national security when you, obe- um, when you are obedient to God's commands. But punishment, such as plagues or exile, when you disobey God. In the New Testament, through Jesus, we see that this understanding is developed and expanded upon all people, Christian, non-Christian alike, will be judged. And this judgment is associated with Christ's final coming. Judgment will be according to works, the things that we do. Not to conflict with justification through faith. I don't want to go into a deep theological argument today. Um, But justification is a a gift of God's free grace. It involves the obligation for us to live out our Christian faith. The way that we treat people, the way that we behave matters. It demonstrates whether faith is genuinely present in our lives. Through the choices we make, the way we respond, when we encounter Christ in our lives, we bring judgment on ourselves. And the final judgment will be this moment of division between those who are revealed to truly belong to Christ and those who do not. This is really deep, complicated stuff. Um, I wonder why Bertie chose to speak to go on holiday. In this passage, Paul is trying to show those who take the moral high ground that they are still guilty, that they have no special immunity from God's judgment. Paul is framing his dialogue as a hypothetical conversation with um, a Gentile who judges other people without attending to their own personal faithfulness. But as Paul explains, people who know that God is just 
should be concerned with their own intentions to do what is right rather than judging the people around them. When Paul talks about those who pass judgment on others, he says that people who do this know the difference between right and wrong. Otherwise, they wouldn't feel that they have this um, ability to make judgment on other people. They have a clear understanding of their moral and ethical expectations. And because of this, they are clearly aware that there are things which warrant God's judgment and anger. But Paul also points out these people who have such a clear view of what is wrong in society are just as guilty because they're probably doing exactly the same things themselves. Now, note that I say these people. We all do it, don't we? It is easy to think that this passage doesn't really talk to me. I'm not like that. My sins aren't that bad, are they? It might describe them, those people there, but it's not talking about me, is it? In the first chapter of Romans, there is this division which immediately becomes apparent. There's this um, divide between they, the wicked, and we, who we consider not to be wicked. And I suspect most people, including myself, think of themselves as good people, law-abiding people, kind. I like to pride myself on having good moral standards. The problems of the world are caused by other people, not by me. I think there are several reasons for this. Firstly, we are all too often completely blind to our own failures. We're just not aware of them. We don't recognise that we're doing exactly the same thing that we're judging other people for. We all have these blind spots and we do things that cause hurt, that make us sinners in ways that we are not even aware of. Sometimes I think it's just because of a lack of awareness or education. Over recent years, I've become increasingly interested in eco-theology, care for God's creation. And because of this, I have become more and more aware of the ways that I have been careless with this gift that we've been given. The reckless way and the greedy way that I have consumed the resources around me, causing damage, causing sin, without even realising I was doing good. second way that we try to avoid the fact that we're just as guilty of the very things that we accuse others of doing is by just forgetting what we've done. We might have been aware of our sin at the time, knowing maybe that we should have stopped that amber light instead of hitting the gas pedal and speeding through. But as that sin fades out of our memory, we somehow assume that God forgets it too. I'm not so sure that's really how it works. We might think that these things go unnoticed. But I suspect that the God that we say knows the very hairs on our head, knows what's going on inside our hearts, as well as what we do on the outside. And that means that God sees the good in us. That's amazing. But it also means that he sees the things that we do and then conveniently forget that we think they're not that bad, not that important. But God knows when we're a little bit sharp with somebody because we're tired or we're running late. God knows when we're unfair, when we're arrogant, when we're greedy. All these things God sees. God knows that we might notice and we might tut about these things in other people when we're just as guilty of doing exactly the same things ourselves. The third way we see ourselves as free of sin is by renaming, reframing our guilt. Other people, they lie and cheat. Me, I just 
stretch the truth a little bit. Other people betray. Not me, I'm protecting my rights. Those people over there, they've got prejudices. Me, I've got convictions, yeah? We're all guilty of doing the things that we accuse other people of doing. The reality is that God sees us inside and out. And one of the questions I struggle to answer when people ask me about my Christian faith is how can a just and a loving God allow those terrible things in the world to happen? How can he allow the injustice, the evil that exists? I don't have a good answer for this. But maybe it's not the right question. Maybe the question should actually be, why didn't God judge me yesterday when I was snappy and said that mean thing that hurt that person I care about? Why wasn't I judged then? Why didn't God strike me dumb when I was gossiping on the phone last night? Why didn't God judge that? Unfortunately for us, the God of truth and justice sees it all, all of it. The God I know who is loving and caring and kind, I think he probably needs to see it all. God knows that we often struggle to recognise our own sin. And so we're given opportunities to repent, to change our behaviour, to change our ways, to change the way we live our lives. C.S. Lewis, the author of The Lion, the Witch and the Wardrobe, the other Narnia books, um, has written a book called Mere, wrote a book, Mere Christianity. And in it he says, people often think of Christian morality as a kind of bargain in which God says, if you keep a lot of rules, I'll reward you. And if you don't, I'll do the other thing. I do not think that's the best way of looking at it. I would much rather say that every time you make a choice, you are turning to the central part of you. The part that chooses to do something a little different than what it was before. And taking your life as a whole, with all of your innumerable choices, all your life long, you are slowly turning this central thing either into a heavenly creature or a hellish creature, either into a creature that is in harmony with God and with other creatures and with itself, or into one that is in a state of war and hatred with God. To be the one kind of creature is heavenly, It is joy and peace and knowledge and power. To be the other means madness and horror and rage and eternal loneliness. Each of us at each moment is progressing to the one state or the other. C.S. Lewis is saying the very same thing as Paul. God is a righteous God. He judges us, he assesses those who have done wrong. No matter how our life might look from the outside, God sees what is on the inside and judges us on this basis. We will all make mistakes, some of us um, on a very regular basis. But how we grow from this, how we learn from this, how it changes the overall direction of our life moving forward is what matters. Are you moving closer in your relationship with God? Do you truly want to honour God with the way that you live your life? Is this what you really want above all else? In contemporary terms, we might call this tough love from a loving God who loves humanity and wants to restore it. Our God loves us so much that he doesn't want to deceive us. We are told that the truth, even when it's hard to hear, 
God's love is there in helping us to see that there is only one way to deal with sin, to admit it, to acknowledge it, and to know that through Christ we are offered something amazing, full and free forgiveness. I believe absolutely in a God who loves us and offers us forgiveness no matter what we have done, no matter how far we stray, there is always, always a route back to God if we truly seek it. God's goodness, God's tolerance and patience are exhibited in this chance to change, this chance that comes when we acknowledge our sins and ask for forgiveness. I just wanted to finish today um, just by acknowledging this this responsibility we have to recognise the mistakes that we've made. So I would ask you all to stand and um, say a confession together. I'd just like you to take a moment of quiet before we do this. Acknowledging before God the times this week when we've been impatient. The times when we haven't been as tolerant and understanding as we should have been. The times when we have been careless, greedy. Those times when we have put our own needs before the needs of other people. 